This week on The Big Show, for 10 years, Marvel has been building toward a huge showdown featuring all its heroes, and their latest, Avengers Infinity War, marks the culmination of years of hard work. In addition, we'll sit down with one of the stars of the Emmy-winning show, The Handmaid's Tale, Miss Samara Wiley. Plus, we will have entertainment news and reviews of the latest films, including Kings and the aforementioned Infinity War, all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. been a show that I've really been looking forward to for a minute. What can I say about uh, Avengers Affinity War uh, that hasn't already been said? Uh, so we'll have that and more coming up a review later on on the show on Keeping It Real here with Film Gordon. Uh, welcome to today's show. Uh, another beautiful day, and I know I say it every week, uh, that it's wonderful in our studios here at DC Radio, uh, 96.3 HD4, and that's dcradio.gov. But I actually really do mean it. It's beautiful. Uh, we're about to kick off the summer movie season, albeit one week uh, early. So as I said, uh, keep listening, because later in the show, I will have my review of Avengers Infinity War, uh, which I had an opportunity to see earlier this week. Um, and have been sitting on it, thinking about it, kind of, you know, rolling around in my head. Uh, in addition to that, also, we'll have reviews of Halle Berry and Daniel Craig's latest film, Kings, which also opens this weekend, which I can guarantee you that really nobody's going to go see because everybody <laughs> wants to see Infinity War. So, but, but hey, as a public service, I make sure that you know what's going on with that film. So we'll have that. Also, uh, you know, DC's own Miss Samara Wiley is going to join me. Uh, the second season of Handmaid's Tale literally kicked off last night. And while, you know, if you're watching the episodes, I think they just did the first two that they put up last night. Um, I've had a chance to see the first six. So I'm going to wait a couple of weeks until everybody catches up. But we will talk a little bit about Handmaid's Tale as well as talk to Samara Wiley and find out what uh, what she sees in her future for the show. Uh, normally, we would get Wilson Morales uh, earlier in our show. He is not going to join us today because in New York this week is the Tribeca Film Fest, and he has interviews for that that will take place. And, you know, at some point, we'll have a lot of entertainment news because there's a lot of things that are happening. So we'll have all that on the show today. So before we get started, I will just open by saying that, uh, you know, I, I know this is crazy. And, and as a guy who has been reviewing movies for almost 30 years professionally, um, I'm going to do something tonight that I've never done before. And uh, as I said earlier, I had an opportunity to see Infinity Wars early this week. Um, a buddy of mine who I kind of hang out with and we do these movies together Wanted to, he wanted to buy tickets, and of course, every show was sold out. So the only show that was available, believe it or not, that we can get into is at 2 a.m. this morning. So I will, <laughs> I'm going to go to the movies for the first time ever. I've done midnight shows before. I've never done a 2 a.m. screening of a movie. Uh, so this movie, of course, which is going to open on 4,470 screens, uh, if they're having 2 a.m. screenings of, uh, of a film, it just goes to show you that there is a lot of demand and they are supplying that demand. So I will be sitting in a movie. I'll probably have to take a nap this afternoon and make sure that I am there uh, to make sure that I, I can stay awake. Uh, it's going to be pretty hard to fall asleep anyway. And when you see the movie, you'll understand what I'm talking about. 
But um, Infinity War is a movie that, as I said, they've been building up to uh, for years, years building up to this film. All right, so in entertainment news today, what is actually happening uh, that I think people care about? Oh, well, the Emmy Awards today announced their host uh, for the show, and of course, without any, uh, without a lot of fanfare and not much of a surprise, uh, the, the the head writers of Saturday Night Live, you know, their flagship show, uh, Michael Che and Colin Jost are going to co-host the Emmys this year. So. Um, I mean, I, I think that I, I think that's a solid move on NBC's part. Um, I also think it's going to be a solid move that will work in the room. Uh, their their humor, at least the type of humor that they display on Saturday Night Live, I think will play well for a room, not just the room of uh, nominees and, and other Emmy participants that'll be there, but I think it will play well uh, as as they like to say on the other side to the liberal audience. Who uh, who makes up the entertainment industry? You know, when you talk about the the Golden Globes, the Academy Awards, and all these other major award shows, the Emmys, of course, being that for television, I think it's a a pretty smart move, and um, you know, it really can't hurt, and it kind of taps into what that show is about. That they want people who are young and cutting edge and edgy. And, uh, you know, Che and Jost are definitely that. So the Emmy Awards are taking place when? I need to pull that up and figure it out really quickly. Uh, and, of course, I can't get a real quick answer. Uh, show is going to take place, wow, September 17th. So on September 17th, Colin Jost, Michael Che, Michael Che, Colin Jost hosting the Emmys this year. So you definitely want to look for that. Now, also, uh, last night, for people who like suits, I don't know how many folks, you know, you always, we have a mix of movies and television on this show, and I watch a lot of television, uh, not just because I love television, but, when, you know, we do an award show, uh, the Black Real Awards for television, so I'm always looking at candidates throughout the year, and last night was the season finale, season seven finale for Suits. Uh, so a, a better way to explain it, it was the final show last night for both uh, Patrick Adams and Meghan Markle, who's about to marry um, the prince in a couple of months or maybe next month over in England. So she's spent seven years on the show. And last night was their swan song. Um, I don't really want to spoil it in case people have a DVR to tell you what exactly happened. Um, Suits, of course, is a show about a firm. Uh, where you have everything is built around the one lie that has been told of an associate who works at the firm who never went to law school and how that revelation reverberates throughout the entire show and all of the different characters and and the relationships that the firm has had. Um, So, you know, of course, uh, Michael and Rachel, uh, Mike Ross and Rachel Zane, uh, you know, um, exited the show last night. It was a uh, wonderful show that also brought Gina Torres, who was a uh, series regular and who had left the show probably like a year or so ago, brought her back for a huge arc. And I think also there's a spinoff for her that's coming in the future as well. But it was a a wonderful week for Suits last night. And if you like that show or have never seen it, I would suggest you checking it out. Uh, Really wonderful show on USA TV. And the final thing that I want to talk about in entertainment this week, and I'm looking right across uh, the glass to our producer because I want to get look at her facial expression when we talk about this. You know, Kanye West announced um, <laughs> about a week ago that he has, a, he has two new albums coming out, uh, one with Kid Cudi, and um, I'm not sure who's the other album with. Um, but also, he, he went on this kind of like Twitter rant yesterday where he was tweeting out, you know, uh, what was perceived to be support for President Trump's policies and, pre- and President Trump. Um, and I had a long conversation with a close friend of mine on the way in today, and we were talking about this, and he was like, oh, man, you know, we have short attention spans, and nobody really cares about what Kanye thinks. And I said, well, what I would say is historically, uh, when you talk about people of color, um, we have a, a propensity of putting people into a box, right? Where we think of you in a certain way. 
uh, example, think about R. Kelly, right? R. Kelly 20 years ago was much loved. You know, I believe I can fly. R was doing his thing. And then when these allegations of, uh, you know, him messing with underage women and some of the other activities that he was getting into, just Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, came out. People have put R. Kelly in the box. So he's still out there and he's still working, but his level of popularity or the level of support that he gets from the African-American community has sort of kind of plummeted. Would you agree with that, that his support has kind of plummeted? Yeah. So I think similarly, uh, what's happening with Kanye West is, you know, I realized, and it's funny because I was telling somebody, I said, I have five of Kanye's albums on my cell phone. I mean, you know, graduation, you know, uh, some of his albums, his early work, absolutely great. Love Kanye at the beginning, right? Um, unfortunately, losing his mother and then him kind of having some sort of a, a, a mental breakdown and I honestly believe that he has never really recovered from that. I, I, that's my assertion. I don't know him, have never met him, but it's just my impression from looking at some of the bizarre behavior. And it could be some other stuff that we really don't know about. Um, I, and, 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 and without having to say this and, and not mean a lot of malice, being with, with the Kardashian clan is not helping either <laughs> because historically everybody who's gone down that path uh, that has not been a good look either. So Kanye West, man, um, you know, hey, if you want to rock around, if you want to walk around and support uh, the current administration, you want to wear your red MAGA hat, you know, making America great. Um, if you want to if you want to leave your support open, you got to understand that it comes with a price, because at the end of the day, you're not Kanye West like regular average citizen. You Kanye West, an artist who wants people to support your work. Uh, So again, you've got to, you know, people always say, you know, you've got to be, you have to be, you have to own your decisions. This is an own your decision moment for Kanye West. And, you know, you will soon find out what R. Kelly has found out and other artists who have lost support among their core constituency or their core target group. That it's hard to, to regain trust, man, once fans turn on you. It, it really is. Uh, so, again, like I said, he's got a couple of albums that are coming out in a couple of weeks. And it is going to be really, really interesting to see how uh, the events of yesterday and then other things that have happened prior to that, um, how all that will play out. I mean, you know, the, the, the very public feud he had with Jay-Z. Um, when these guys had done several, had, had worked together since probably like the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, on tour together, uh, recording albums together. And matter of fact, we talked about R. Kelly. R. Kelly was another one that made an album with Jay-Z, and then after all those allegations broke. So, again, like I said, you know, historically, there are some things that you can point to to say that this is really not going to be a good look for you. Um, but again, I, I don't know him. I wish that brother well. Um, I don't have any malice toward him. I just kind of look at your politics and I understand you got to own what you think. But at the same time, you got to also understand the ramifications that that will have with the ticket buying public. All right. So we get ready to take a break momentarily. And today, uh, all the music on our show is going to be from Mob Deep. Their album, The Infamous, which was their second album, was released 23 years ago yesterday. Uh, Rest in peace, The Prodigy. Uh, That album now, over time, has become a landmark in hip-hop. As one of the albums, along with Ready to Die from Biggie, uh, The Illmatic from Nas, and uh, Into the 36 Chambers by the Wu-Tang Clan, is kind of the albums that brought the East Coast back in the mid-90s after G-Funk and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and N.W.A. were just rolling on the West Side. So uh, one more time, big up to uh, both Prodigy, the late Prodigy, and Havoc of Mob Deep, and we'll be celebrating Infamous all day on our show today. We're going to take a break right now. You guys are listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4 and that's dcradio.gov and we'll be right back. Hey, 
Assassin. That's the infamous Mob Deep. And of course, that was Survival of the Fittest, the instrumental. Uh, welcome back to the big show, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at DC Radio, 96.3 HD4. Um, I was having a little fun doing breaks. I was doing my happy dance. And of course, it got Snapchatted by producer Jessica Sturgis. So it's no big deal. I mean, you know, hey, this is what it's all about. It's entertainment. So I'm entertaining as we're doing entertainment. All right, so coming up uh, later in the show, uh, I know you, you care about what I have to say about in, uh, uh, Infinity Wars, Avengers Infinity War, um, and I'm saying that sarcastically because really you don't care. I could say it's the worst movie ever, and y'all going to be like, yeah, that's your opinion. I got my ticket already. I'm in line, so, and, I, and I can live with that and own it, but... You do want to care? You do care about what I think about Kings, because I definitely want to talk about that film. So that's coming up a little later on. And also in our next segment, Samara Wiley's going to stop by to give us a preview of season two of The Handmaid's Tale. So you don't want to miss that. All right, so back to our show. And I'll just say that there's a lot of news that is coming out of CinemaCon that's taking place this week at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. A lot of the new movies that are going to be coming out soon are stopping by. You know, Taraji P. Henson stopped by for what for what women want. Uh, so that story's been floating around, and we're going to talk about a couple of other people who are stopping by. But first of all, Universal uh, rolled out uh, the first footage of M. Night Shyamalan's latest film uh, thriller called Glass, which stars Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis, James McAvoy, and Sarah Paulson. Now, Shyamalan told the audience at CinemaCon that Glass is the first truly grounded comic book movie. M. Night, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I mean, I saw The Dark Knight. I've watched The Avengers, uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, Captain America's uh, uh, Civil War, and now uh, Avengers Infinity War. So I don't know what truly grounded uh, comic book film means. So I don't know what that means, but I'm going to go with it because you said it. Uh, secondly, he said um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who was there, said it's about time he got his title role in his own you fill in the blank movie because you know what Samuel Jackson is famous for. Now, of course, this film brings together the narratives of Shyamalan's Unbreakable, which was released in 2000 and last year's Split. Uh, Shyamalan is self-financing this film. And of course, it, it, and in the film, Willis returns as David Dunn and Jackson returns as Elijah Price, who was Mr. Glass, both from Unbreakable. Um, McAvoy is coming back as Kevin Wendell Crumb and his multiple identities uh, that reside within him uh, from Split. So this is going to be a really interesting movie. And he tried at the very end of Split, if you saw it, where Bruce Willis makes a cameo at the very end, which is supposed to kind of tie these two universes together. So it's going to be really interesting what this movie is, is, is going to eventually be. I think it comes out in early January next year. So it's also produced by Blumhouse that did Get Out. So they have a propensity and understand that they can take small little budgets and turn them into really, really large profits. So uh, Glass is a movie that uh, we'll be taking a look at next year when it is released. Now, also at CinemaCon over the weekend uh, was director Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, who talked about their latest film, Mission Impossible Fallout, which is like Mission Impossible 6. Uh, and in this one, uh, <laughs> Tom Cruise, every time they do a Mission Impossible film, wants to do like a really, really crazy stunt. You know, he had a stunt in the last one where he hung on to a plane as it took off. And he kind of did it a couple of times in order to get it to work. This time in this film, he wants to do a skydiving stunt. Well, he didn't want to. They're doing a skydiving stunt where he jumps out of a plane at 25,000 to 30,000 feet going at 220 miles an hour. And then he has to grab another character in midair. And they said he tried it three times before they got it right. So the first thing I thought of when I heard this story is I don't even know. I want to imagine what the insurance was. Like they charged the studio to let Tom Cruise do that. Like how much, how much money would it take to insure him in case something really bad happens? Cause Cruise has broken his ankle on set before he loves 
doing like these really crazy stunts in movies. So, uh, and then let me take that back. They, I said it, it took them three times. It took them a hundred. It took crews 106 jumps in order to get the three that they're using that they had to actually combine in the film. He jumped out of a plane 106 times at that height and that speed in order to get a stunt for a movie that you're going to probably sit there and you're going to probably eat some popcorn. You might sneeze and might like miss it. <laughs> so, hey, man, anything, anything we can do uh, to, to, for entertainment in films. And they also said that uh, legally the only place that they would allow him to do this was over at the United Arab Emirates. So that's where they filmed this. Mission Impossible Fallout will be in theaters later this summer. And finally, in light of $39 million overseas last night, uh, Avengers Infinity War is already up and running. Uh, this week, they're projecting it to make between 225 to $245 million in counted three days. $225 million to $245 million in three days. Um, they're thinking that it's going to probably cross the 250 mile, I mean, the 250 million mark. Um, this movie, which costs three to four hundred million dollars, is trying now to either be I think it's it'll be the yeah, it'll be the sixth movie to go over two hundred million dollars. So think in the first six months, they've had Black Panther that did one point three billion. You're coming out the gate with two hundred and fifty. They'll probably open worldwide this weekend. Close to five hundred million dollars after all of the money has been counted through all the territories worldwide. So <laughs> there is huge, huge money in these films, uh, and we will talk a lot more about it in the weeks to come because the numbers for Deadpool were released today, and they're projecting that Deadpool 2 is going to open at 150. So it seems like um, we're going to get more of these sorts of big event films instead of less because they just make too much money. I mean, think about it. Black Panther costs $200 million to make. They made their money over six times. Yeah, they made six times the profit. And somebody told me that the profit on Black Panther, <clears throat> excuse me, is closer to like $450 million in profit. So it is, uh, it is big business, man. Disney right now is uh, cranking them out. And don't forget, they got Solo coming out at the end of May. And they still have Ant-Man and the Wasp coming out, as well as Disney also owns Pixar, which has The Incredibles 2 coming out this summer. So if you got Disney stock, man, you probably doing my happy dance. See my happy dance again? I got a different one this time. She didn't Snapchat that one. <laughs> All right, so we're getting ready to take another break right now in this shortened segment. And we're going to come back on the other side. And it's going to be time to talk to Miss Tamara Wiley, uh, one of the co-stars who plays Mora in Handma The Handmaid's Tale. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Back. here on DC Radio 96.3 HD4 dcradio.gov uh, welcome back to the show coming up in our next segment we'll be talking about the, one of the most anticipated movies of the year in Avengers Infinity War uh, keep it where you got it earlier this week I sat down with one of the stars of Hulu's breakout hit The Handmaid's Tale we discuss how the story evolves in season two, the uber dark tone of the show, and how the events of the show resonate with modern politics. Before we talk to Miss Samara Wiley, here is a clip from The Handmaid's Tale. Is this what freedom looks like? What will happen when I get out? There probably is no out. Gilead is within you. We can't explain this away. They will say that we're part of the resistance. If you'd shown that girl one ounce of kindness, she would never have left. 
will find every person involved and then they will be punished. You will love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Or you will feel the pain of his judgment. For that is his love. All right, Miss Wiley. Hello. Um, wow. Just finished watching um, the first six episodes of season two. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, wonderful I'm trying show. to remember what happens at the end of six. The commander. The, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, <laughs> I host a uh, radio show called Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at DC Radio. And I really wanted to talk to you because of the two projects. I, I know you've done a bunch of stuff. The two, st the two things that people really want me to talk to you about, of course, is ours is the new black, uh, Lady Washington. And now it's Mora. Am I pronouncing Yes, right? you Maura are. Mora and uh, Handmaid's Tale. Um, so, again, welcome home. Thank you. Thank you very Happy much. Happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Everything. I do what I can. Yes. Um, so, let's talk first about Handmaid's Tale. Let's do it. Um, coming off of being in, in prison or being in a lockdown mm -hmm. with the ladies in Orange is a New Black, mm -hmm. and now you, you get this script for this, this dystopian future where women have been treated as second-class citizens, uh, there's this morality play. Is this, what, what was it? I'm, and, I'm, and I know it's just basic to ask somebody what is it that drew you to mm -hmm. that, but do you see some sort of a link between that role that you walked away from in Orange is a New Black to this role mm -hmm. in Handmaid's Tale? I mean, it really is just a different form of prison. I think right. uh, this this Gilead, this totalitarian regime that they are all living under. Um, it is um, definitely when I read the script, um, I was looking for a job because I had a job. <laughs> um, but um, the thing that I think that I got used to on Orange and something that I became comfortable with that drew me in with Handmaids was the presence of these fully three-dimensional female characters that were completely thought out. They were complex. They were um, something that felt like had some real meat there. Um, something that I wouldn't, that I would be able to go to work and, 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 and uh, another thing that was, it was also so, um, uh, such a reflection of the time that we were living in, in this in this weird, weird Gilead way. Um, but I just remember being so drawn in by this world. It was so complete. Margaret Atwood had created this world over 30 years ago. And for some reason, right now, it is more relevant than ever. Um, I, like I said, was... was um, drawn in by the female characters, but then also when I got to know more about the project, they had the, all, every single director was a woman, first season, except for one. Um, and um, it just, it, it just seemed, I, I, I want to be involved in projects that are reflecting the time that we're living in. I want to be able to have, uh, now don't get me wrong, I love going to the movies, love going to TV, just laugh. But to me, in like my life's work, if this is gonna be my main gig, so so to speak, then like I would love it to have some substance, and that is exactly every everything that this show is. I was able to sort of see some of that in that first pilot script that I that I read, um, and I just, I, it it was something that I wanted to compete for. It was, I was at a time in my, in my career where I was, um, and still now for, you know, some things like you, if, if you, if you really want something, you're not always, all the time going to be like, all right, well, Samira Wiley wants to part, so let's give it a part. No. And I actually really liked that. I liked that I had to go in the room time after and again and, 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 uh, and learn the lines and, and try to figure out who this character was before we even went, before I even got the part, because then I was able to really know who this person Moira was. And I love that they did that with me. I, I 
was was in there a couple in in rooms with them figuring out who this person was fi- helping them figure out what this world was um yeah <laughs> okay so we you said earlier you talked about the relevance of it all so mm-hmm. you talked about she wrote this back in the in the mid 80s early to mid 80s mm-hmm. and now here we are making the story and as i look at it it's it's interesting in a way that the current administration if they had their way would like to have a world that models a lot of what Margaret Atwater's book is saying. It's it's scary, man. Exactly. It's, it's it's really scary, and it's it's scary because the thing that you're saying right now, it's not like you said it and everybody's like, "What did he just say?" Because everybody's saying it. Right. Everybody's saying it. I mean, and and it's uh, it's I I, I I um in some of these scenes, like say you. There's a scene in season one where we are going for a jog. We go to a coffee shop, and all of a sudden we realize that we can't use our right. our, our credit cards anymore because we're women. And the emotions and feelings and whatever reactions I have to muster for Moira in that scene are not so different from Samira waking up on a random April morning in 2018 and reading a headline and feeling... How the fuck did that happen? Excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh, you good. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, how, how, how could this have happened? And there's this, there's this line in, uh, season one where, um, Moira's at the Red Center, and she says something like, we didn't, we didn't look up, up, we didn't look up from our cell phones until it was too late. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause we're just here, you know what I mean? And, um, it's just, and I don't even know if that's the problem. Cause sometimes I think I'm, I'm, I'm in it doing this. I'm reading, I'm up, up to date, you know? Um, I, but it's, it is scary. It's, 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 um, you know, you, you wake up and read that, that, uh, you know, some, somebody else has lost their rights and somewhere else in the world. And it's exactly what's happening in the, the script. You know? Now, when I watched this, the, the biggest parallel that I had from another television show, which is on another network, is I think of the world that they create for Westworld mm-hmm. versus the world that they create for you, mm-hmm. where it's both of them are oppressive, both of them are kind of places, and I'm, I'm drawing this as a parallel because it kind of popped in my mind mm-hmm. when I, as I was riding down, but I think you're absolutely spot on that. The, the world is so immersive and so detailed in how it's created. Now, you said earlier as well that these women are all three-dimensional. In mm-hmm. And I, the, one of the things that I found that was really interesting about the story is that really we find out, a lot, a lot of it in season two, that the driving force behind all mm-hmm. these new laws that are enacted was a woman himself. And I drew a parallel. I said, said it would almost be like somebody who's African-American going, I think slavery is a really good thing. We should do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think, talk a little bit about when you, I'm not sure if you've ever read any of, if you've read her book. Uh, or you just, uh, the yeah, book, I read the book. You read the book. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just amazed about that parallel about how we find or discover that. Um, does that say anything about you know, we there's a certain certain sense that we feel that there's a certain morality or a certain way that things mm-hmm. should be. I, I'm I'm not sure exactly if I'm asking it in the in the yeah in the no 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 it's it's interesting it's you know it, it makes me think about our own history like we think about um um the different waves of feminism that we've had in in uh, history and there's a, a, oftentimes been opposition lots of opposition by women mm-hmm. um, t- um you know that that uh, I forget gosh I forget that woman's name. Well, it doesn't matter, but I mean, it does matter, but I can't remember her name right now. Um, but, you know, fighting and saying that a woman's place, t- t- telling you where a woman's place is. And the, 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 I think the, the, the book in Handmaids, I think her book that she writes is called A Woman's Place, if, I, if mm. I'm remembering correctly. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know where that where that I I don't have that in me that I can tap into and say oh well I know when I think about this I can I I can't really identify um with it um and I don't want to sit here and start like speculating you know it could be this it could be that Mm -hmm. um but I do think that 
The answer is in understanding each other, in trying to understand each other, in trying to have compassion, and in, in trying to um, have have conversations where we actually listen to each other. And um, I think that for me, the thing that I want to do is when I don't understand things, is to try to listen to what other people say, and hopefully they can listen to what I have to say back, because that's the thing. We have to be able to li- listen and re- receive. You know what I mean? Um, it's um, it's it's a very curious thing. The um, this character of Serena Joy, right. how she has, you know, sort of started this entire movement, um, and, and and you think about what a hero she could be if she had just taken a like a little left turn right when she wrote that sentence rather than a right turn you know what right. i mean if she had like under they have in the society pit these women against each other they've got these this false sense of superiority with this dumb class caste system mm-hmm. you got the handmaids the wives the econo wives right. the whatever whatever where you think you're above me but actually him, the men over there, they're fine, they're chill because they all, we already pitted against each other, so they don't have to do anything to control what's going on over here because you already doing it for them. Correct. Whereas if we understood the power that we could have as women as a collective, mm-hmm. what that could have done, and what did she want? I my question is just like, what did she want? Is this if if we ask Serena truly? Is this what you wanted? Right. Of course, she has to say yes. Right. But what was that really? Well, you know, it was funny because what I left out is I said we think about the last election when we talked about fifty-two percent of the women Mm -hmm. voted for Donald Trump. She would remind me of the person who would have led that fifty-two percent movement. Um, But but I think it's a fascinating. A fascinating show, a fascinating concept, a fascinating world that, as I was teasing him out there, I said, it just depresses the bejesus out of me. I I can't imagine um, going into work every day, you, Elizabeth, and the rest of the cast, and Dow. Um, How? (laughs) What is is that vibe like? Are you guys guys spending a lot of time after work, man? We got to get a drink, man. It's been a hard day at the gig. No, I mean, like, it's so interesting. When I think about Orange, like, it was such a, it was, like, all-consuming. Like, there was no, like, delineation between what was work and what was play and what was getting drunk until, you know what I mean? Like, everything was just, we just were always with each other. We always wanted to be with each other. We always on each other's Instagram. And this really feels, like, not good or uh, better or worse, but, like, a job. It feels like I know, like, this is the second part of, you know, Samir, that was the, you know, your growing up part on Orange. And, like, now, like, I sort of understand the way TV works now. And, like, I understand that it is our job to produce something that is incredible. Right. And not, not, I don't want to say this the wrong way. Um... I don't. I don't necessarily have the same kind of relationship with this cast that I did with Orange. Right. It's different. It's 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 more mature. Right. It's um, we don't we don't always go out and 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 and, uh, and you know drink and, and and figure out what 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 happened today and you know talking to Anne about whatever whatever. It's kind of like we did it. We we made some we made some gold today. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Get some rest. Right. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um. And it, I mean, it makes sense with the kind of shows they are. Orange is crazy. <laughs> so I got, I have another one for you. So in watching the arc and evolution of your character, right? Mm-hmm. And now, of course, without telling the audience and, and not spoiling it, you're in a different place now. Yes. My impression, and I could be wrong because maybe I'm looking too too deep into it. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like in this new place or this new space that you're in right now that. There's still a lack of familiarity, and you really seem, lack of a better term, bored. Like, like it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that that yeah. I think I think I think I mean, that's I, very I, true. I don't think I don't think the cat. I, I don't. It's kind of interesting because it's clear that I don't think you you don't want to be where you were. Yeah. But now that you're here, it's like it's not a solution. Yeah. 
It's not a solution. It's, 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 you know, I mean, like, I'll go ahead and talk a little bit about it because she does leave at the end of episode one, I can tell right. you. Yeah. I mean, at the end of season one. Um, you know, she escapes to Canada and she, you know, we see her get there and reunite with Luke at the end of season one. And, um, mm-hmm. She's just, it's supposed to be all these wonderful things. Mm-hmm. And it is on surface. You got, you know, you got the scene, she's getting handed money. She never had money before. I mean, like, it's illegal for you to even have possessions back there. Right. You're not getting raped every day. That's wonderful. You know, you have a health insurance card. All this stuff is it's wonderful on right. paper. Right. You got little American flags everywhere because this is little America. It's, <laughs> it's also horrible. There's nothing familiar her family, everything that she knows is family, whether that's blood or not, is nowhere to be seen. She, how, how do you find, how do you find love? Do you even go, do, do you even think about that? Is that a part of your, your, do you think about, do I go date someone? Like, what do you, the, the, she's, she's so lost. And I think this is the story of a lot of refugees. It's wonderful because they're not in that horrible place, but also that was the evil you knew. Right. You know? Um, so she's, yeah, she's struggling this season. She's trying to figure it out. Well, I, I, I saw that, that there, there was an attempt at a connection, and then even that didn't work out. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I know what you're talking about. She's a little, yeah. she's a little, she's just like trying, well, I, I don't know. You know? Kind of like that. So how many episodes are we talking about? Are we 10 or 12? We're 10? 13. 13. Yeah. So, okay. So I can't wait to to see how the story evolves because it's almost like these parallels about your story and um is it Illy? What's her name? Uh, uh Elizabeth Moss's characters. Oh, June Alfred. Alfred. Yeah. Yeah, so Alfred and, and more and, and Morris tales are just so that they, they, they parallel one another mm-hmm. and they're supposed to represent two ends of the spectrum, but at the same time it's almost like two Kind of like the same thing in two different places. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, to be honest. I mean, yeah, because because the way because the way it's edited, it's kind of like we we take a look at your journey, we take a look at her journey, right? And she's catching obvious hell, and yeah. your character is kind of like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm here. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. What's next? Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting way an interesting focus. Uh, and it's an interesting show from a standpoint that of all the shows that I probably watch, it's probably the one that I just walk away from. Like, I, I watched it late last night. Mm. I think I was having, like, nightmares of being in Gilead. <laughs> and, then, and then we asked the other question. Um, that I look at the, the dynamics, the diverse dynamics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we see, of course, that all the commanders are usually white men. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the wives. I was, I was playfully saying, you know, like, as a, like, me, where, mm-hmm. where would I fit into that world? Ah, gotcha. Would, would I be a guardian? Would I be... I mean, I wouldn't be a commander. I th- you know, these questions um, are... Um, you know, one of the things that, that Bruce told me in terms of when he wanted to... Because it is different from the book. The book is a white world. Right. It's a whitewashed world. And, um, you know, if you talk to him, he will just straight up say, I don't want to make a TV show like that. Like, just baseline, like, not even talking about creatively and then this and that. Just, right. I didn't want to make a TV show that didn't have no black people on it and no, no, didn't reflect the world that we were living in today. And so you, that's, where, that's where we started with it. With, um, with um, that was my first hearing of, you know, why we, we were there and uh, before we even started making the show. And... Um, then you have to start to to ask the questions internally of in the world. Okay, well then, why are there no? Why, you know what I mean? And those are questions that I I'm still figuring out because I'm not a creator on the show. Right. Um, and they are conversations that I have with Bruce all the time. Right. Um, because I applaud him definitely right. for being like I don't want to make a TV show like this. But also for, for you know, us and in the world of our show, we have to make it make sense as well. Right. Um, so um, I think that that is all, uh, the, in, in that subject, there are a lot of questions that I don't have answers to. Right. But I think it's really good that we're having the questions. I don't think we should be afraid of that. Right. 
final question for you, which I think is really important. In, the, in this world that we live in now with uh, the empowerment of women all over the place, the Me Too movement, everything mm -hmm. else, when we look at a show like this one, Handmaid's Tale, even though it's a, a show that on the surface shows these different women in this cast system and there's, it's oppressive, would this be a show that is an empowering story for women? I mean, do you see it that way or... Is it is Atwood Atwood's vision mm -hmm. of the future kind mm -hmm. of dire? So I don't know. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to figure this out. Um, Does it represent empowerment in any way? Uh, it, well, well, let's not. You I mean it is definitely a bleak show. It is a bleak <laughs> show. Let's not let's not mince any words. It's, it is. But for me, my challenge is to be able to really see this story as also a story of resilience and resistance right. and ultimately perseverance hopefully i mean i don't, I don't, <laughs> we haven't, I don't well, know you, yet you but finished, you finished season two though watching it no i'm talking about finished filming, filming. it yes okay. yes yes okay yes. so yeah all right so you're um, just holding back on this go ahead i just um i i mean in terms of the whole story i'm sure they wanted to go many seasons um um, no, yeah, but I really do. I really do think that in those small moments, you know what I mean. It is, uh, Alfred is beaten down again and again and again, and for some reason she's able to still stand up at the end of the day and say, "I'm going to do this." Why? Because my daughter. Right. Because I have another generation of women looking up to me, and I have a responsibility, and it is, I think, a story of hope. Right. I do. All right, um, Samara, Wally, uh, it has been wonderful. I would love to talk to you more, but there's a person standing over your shoulder. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. All right, and thank you, Samara Wiley. That was absolutely fantastic. As you can see, we had plenty to talk about. That interview could have kept on going. But it doesn't sort of work that way. So we're going to take another break right now. When we come back on the other side, it's going to be time to talk movies. And you, I don't need to say it. I've been talking about it all show. You know what's coming. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at DC Radio. And we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wendell Pierce, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keeping It Real with Film Gordon on Film Gordon Radio. to our final segment and it is time you've all been waiting for time for me to review this week's new releases without further ado here we go There are two films in theaters this weekend. And first up is Kings. Kings uh, tells the story of a South Central recluse played by uh, star of the film Daniel Craig, James Bond himself, who helps a, a woman's working class mother uh, played by Halle Berry during the 1992 civil unrest in Los Angeles. The film is written and directed by Denise Gamay Ergevan, and stars Halle Berry and Daniel Craig. And here is a clip from Kings. What the hell's going on? How is he doing? Haven't you heard? They acquitted the four cops to kick the sh out of Rodney King. What did she just say, Ma? The verdict just came in. They found the four cops that beat Rodney King not guilty on all charges. That's not possible. Did you hear? There's some hip going down on Adams. There are boys what? fighting the police, and neighborhood boys are running there. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. 
Okay. Um, wow. You got it right there. Um, this movie kind of takes us back 25 years uh, to uh, right around the time of the Rodney King beating and the actual subsequent trial and how that trial just affects like a small community in Los Angeles as, you know, they use real footage to show us kind of the mood of L.A. during that time as well as, you know, what was going on subsequently afterwards. Um, I'll just cut to the chase on this movie really, really quickly. Um, This was a movie that debuted at the Toronto International Film Fest last year. Um, It took a while to get distribution. It featured an Oscar winner in Halle Berry. It featured James Bond playing both playing untraditional roles. Um, I'll just basically say this movie is really bad. And when I say it's really bad, I'm like almost unwatchable bad. I would almost go as far as to say it's the worst movie of the 80 I've seen this year in theaters. Poorly paced. Um, It feels like material that is not just old, but it didn't age well. And it just feels it falls tone deaf according to like where we are now as a culture. Uh, Daniel Craig, you know, plays like this loony white guy who's kind of like the uh, I like to call the mighty whitey character who's kind of saving Halle Berry's character. Halle Berry's got eight kids and she's picking kids up randomly. You got a couple of uh, uh, errant subplots that don't simply work and just don't connect the film. Just I I mean, I'm going to give it an F. Right. But it deserves an alphabet that I don't even think has been created. And F is not harsh enough. But this, as I said, one of the worst films of the year, Kings. Uh, if you want to check it out, it's in theaters this week. So that's all I have to say about that film. Now, up next is the film that everybody's been waiting for. And, of course, that film is uh, Avengers Infinity War. And this film tells the story of the Avengers who finally joined forces 10 years in the making with the Guardians of the Galaxy to stop Thanos. And it's the 19th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, The film was directed, of course, by uh, longtime directors Anthony and Joe Russo with a screenplay from the writing team of Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely, and features an ensemble cast including Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Benedict Cumberbatch, Don Cheadle, Tom Holland, Chadwick Boseman, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Denai Guerrero, Letitia Wright, Dave Bautista, Zoe Saldana, Josh Brolin, and Chris Platt. And here is a clip from Avengers Infinity War. Tell me his name again. Thanos. He's a plague, Tony. He invades planets. He takes what he wants. He wipes out half the population. He sent Loki. The attack on New York. That's him. This is it. What's our timeline? No telling. He has the power in space stones. That already makes him the strongest creature in the whole universe. If he gets his hands on all six stones, Tony. He could destroy life on a scale hitherto undreamt of. All right. Wow. I mean, as you can see there, uh, the stakes are high in this film. And as somebody told me, we were talking earlier, they don't call it war for nothing. This movie uh, deviates a lot from what I call the Marvel uh, blueprint. If you've watched these movies, they're usually fun, full of pop pop culture references. They're usually humorous. This movie is really dark. And if you've been watching these films, Thanos is probably the most formidable foe that the Avengers have ever fought. And he's so formidable that no one Avenger or a team of these guys can take this guy down as he is carrying around his gauntlet and in search of the six Infinity Stones that will make him all-powerful and can control everything from it being time, uh, reality, um, I mean, just everything in this universe. And I'll just say this. Uh, and I'm not really, I'm doing a spoiler free review. So we're there will be no spoilers because I want you to experience it as I did. Everybody's not going to make it. So I'm just telling you that off the top, there are going to be a lot of people that people have an emotional attachment to who will not survive this film and may not survive, you know, cause this is only part one of this story. And there'll be a second part to close this loop and, and close this story out a year from now. But um, Infinity War is a really, really dark film that kind of pushes all the chips to the table. 
and we see all these characters. You know, we we've seen all their positive uh, attributes, but we see all the negativity that comes out. As you know, they they've done a great job of putting all these different heroes from all these different camps into different teams across the universe to try to fight Thanos. So you've got some characters that are on a distant planet. You got some characters that are teaming up that are back on Earth. And everybody is trying their darnest to protect every Infinity Stone because they know that Thanos is coming. And Thanos and his Legion of Doom are all powerful. Um, you, you've got everybody involved in it, with the exception of one character. Um, that if you think about it and figure it out, you can figure out why he's not in the film. But everybody else is there. Uh, Wakanda shows up in the story, um, and it was interesting that when Black Panther shows up, you know, everybody in the theater is like, "Woo woo!" because <laughs> because everybody's memory is still from Black Panther. But um, it's very interesting. I will say that you look for all the different character combinations that, that kind of connect. Um, of course, if you remember, as I said earlier, the film is a, uh, a sequel and it's really the first time that all these characters have been together since Captain America Civil War, when we had that fallout. Uh, of course, during that battle, Thor was, was absent, as well as the Hulk, as we found out later on in Thor Ragnarok. They're back in. Um, it's a lot of fun. And as I said, I think... My personal opinion, and I'm trying to kind of dance around it as much as I can, is that uh, people ask me, and we were having conversations as critics, about uh, the ability for this to be a movie that people will want to see over and over. You know, people have seen Black Panther, you know, four and five times, and will it get that sort of a reaction? And I, I honestly believe it will not. Um, I think it's the kind of movie that you could probably watch it twice because the tone of it is so dark. Uh, like I said, not everybody survives. And I think that if you are a fan of one of these characters that may appear to go bye-bye, you don't want to see something or someone who you kind of uh, attach to have sort of a, so, that sort of demise in the film. And I think that it, for, for more than anything else here domestically, will suppress the numbers for it. That, that's one reason. I also think the fact that Deadpool 2, which is coming out three weeks, so about a fourth week of uh, Avengers Infinity War, Deadpool will be coming in theaters. And it's decidedly a much different tone, which is kind of a more fun, uh, you know, kind of a, a tone that I think really will appeal to audiences more than uh, the tone in Infinity War. Um, but if you like seeing all your favorite heroes together in one movie, and I know everybody does, you will really enjoy watching it initially. But as I'm telling you, at the beginning, it, it begins in peril. I mean, and it's stress-inducing because you're watching it, and you never know, like, oh, man, not him or not her. Oh. So uh, Infinity War, I think, to me, it's kind of like the perfect placeholder movie, right? Because it's just like a, it, it leaves you in a cliffhanger. So the second part of the story, I think, will work much better for audiences because we will see true resolution. Uh, but this movie feels to me like what the second Lord of the Rings, I think it was called Two Towers, the one that was between Fellowship of the Ring and Return of the King, where you had to have a movie in there to kind of connect the two. This movie feels like the movie that has to be there to connect you to the one that's coming next year, which will, will, will resolve everything. And for that reason, it's probably the least favorite of all these Avenger films for me. I mean, I enjoyed the first Avengers. I liked Age of Ultron a little less. This one I like less than that one because, as I said, the tone is so different. And I kept screaming, I wanted to see the hope. And I didn't see the hope in the story, uh, even though all my comic book folks are talking about, oh, man, don't worry. You know what's happening in the next one. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm a film critic, so I'm watching the movie. I didn't read the comic. So Avengers Infinity War, a lot of fun, a lot of characters, good humor, really dark story. Not everybody survives. <laughs> That's all I can tell you going into it. And, and I want you to sit home and ponder, Who's not surviving? Exactly. <laughs> that's my point. So um, that's all I got to say on Infinity Wars. I want you to check it out, and we will come back next week after more people have seen it. Uh, it's going to make huge money, so we will break down 
what it's doing financially. I'm, I fully expect it to be close to $500 million worldwide week one. Um, but I don't know if it can maintain a pace of 250 or whatever that pace will start off being here in America. All right, so that does it for us this week. And, you know, as I say every week in closing, please see something good at the movies. You've had two options this weekend. Everybody's going to see the final option. Enjoy your time in the theater watching Avengers Infinity War. And, you know, and we will see you guys on the other side. I'm Tim Gordon, Film Gordon. Until next week, I'm out. You guys enjoy. Is it anything?